На трибунах олеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона Разноцветные майки цветут. Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast. We're recording and releasing earlier than scheduled this week, with the RPL games themselves brought forward to Thursday and Friday at the behest of one Valery Karpin in order to have some more training time in this Sponaya squad in the upcoming international break. Thus, we're going to be discussing all the latest RPL action as Dino will top the league for the first time in years, get all the latest lowdown on transfers and start off with all the juicy information regarding the foreigner limit after the RPL clubs met in the week. To discuss that, I'm joined by Richard Pike. Good evening, James. How are we all? And David Sanson. Good evening. Good evening. So, so I, I like to keep you on your toes and put you in different orders every now and again. But <laughs> So, David, would you like to quickly go through and catch everyone up on what happened in the last week with the, with the deadline and the meeting of the, of the RPL clubs in regards to the foreigner limit? Um, well, initially, I think the deadline... Uh, I mean, it was well, it was the deadline for the proposals, right? So the proposals are all submitted. There was various bits of information and leaks, and not many clubs made official statements on their position on on the uh, proposals. Um, and a new deadline was announced by the RFU, which is the thirty first of August. Uh, at which point, we will know what the future is for the reforms for the league and the reforms for the league rules. Um, the, the big exciting news one morning was we all got up and uh, I think it was Meta Ratings had the had the break that uh, the RF that you were were cancelling the limit. Uh, it was a bit of a presumptuous statement, but um, you know it. We're finally at a point where they are changing the limit again. Obviously, we we had it a few years ago, and uh, well, I say a few years ago, uh, a couple of years ago now, and uh, ended up actually being stricter, but. Um, yeah, it's getting there. We've got clubs in favour. Um, we've got clubs against. We've got clubs who are in a lot, mostly clubs who are indifferent. Um, people, you know, clubs in favour of different things. Ruben, for example, would are happy to completely forego the limit. Um, a couple of the mid, mid to big range clubs are happy to change the limit, but just ease the restrictions. You know, maybe 10, 10 plus fifteen, for example. And then other clubs such as Rostovs uh, don't want to change the limit at all. Um, but it seems like the most likely situation that's going to happen is uh, the league will split into two parts. That, that seems like the proposal that people people want and the clubs want. And uh, it seems like the limit is probably, um, as much as we'd like it all to go permanently, I think, I think it looks like it's probably going to go to 10 plus 15 would be my... If I was a betting man, that's where I'd put my money, although it'd be a tentative bet. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's that's pretty much where we are at the moment. Yeah, and it was just literally, what, three hours ago that Match Premier themselves has released a, a grid on Twitter of the 16 clubs and where each of them stands in in supporting the limit. And although there are different reasons behind where each club's position is, essentially, um, Dinamo, Zenit, Rubin, Sochi, Siska, and Krasnodar would abolish. Um, Arsenal, Ahmat, Nizhny, Spartak, and Rostov would 
support the proposals, um, but would negotiate a change in the proposals. Um, Loco and Timki, I believe, declined to answer. Is that correct? And then Krilia, Ufa, and Ural all totally um, refused them in, in in their entirety. So there is definitely room for manoeuvring and potentially getting rid of the limit, or at least unrestricting the limit in the very least. But it's quite funny looking at that grid because it's the most, to take it in a, a British context, it's the most like Brexit of the clubs who are denying it and really not super surprising in the least at all. But Richard, what's what's your take on this? Do you think that, is it an inevitability that the limit would change if maybe not being abolished? And is that a good thing in the long term and short term? Well, yeah, having looked at that... Um... At that match premier diagram from earlier today, um, I have to say, with um, six of the six clubs that are in favour of the limit being removed, I was the six clubs that I was definitely expecting to vote in favour of the limit being removed completely. Um, the other two, I was kind of um, expecting to go with them were Locomotive and Spartak. Now, obviously, at the minute, Spartak are in that um, position where they support changes but would negotiate it down, like you were saying, James, and Locomotive have yet to give us a full answer yet they're sort of undecided yet so yeah like you said it's been split very much down um down the lines i was expecting because at the minute you've sort of got like i would say in the league a big eight of russian clubs and they're obviously zenit siska spartak Lokomotiv, dinamo rubin sochi and krastadar they're the big eight clubs in terms of wealth stature potential stadium size all that kind of thing and you know a majority of them are in favour of cancelling the limit, and then obviously the other eight clubs, uh, a decent chunk of them are either, you know, like I was saying, you know, favour some kind of change, but would negotiate undecided or completely against the limit. Um, it's going to be a very interesting um, next few days because obviously the votes next Tuesday, I think it's the thirty first of August, where they're going to decide the very, the very final vote as to how the structure is going to be from twenty twenty two twenty three onwards. Um, it's going to be a very few, interesting few days of um, negotiation still. Um, it does make you wonder whether some clubs might still break ranks yet. Um, obviously, we still have to know Himke and Lokomotiv's position. You'd expect they need a majority to vote in favour of it, any kind of changes. Um, so I'm expecting it. If it's 9-7 in favour of abolishing the limit, then it probably will go. Um we should see what would happen if it's split, if it's eight and eight. Um, would they then have to maybe ask a second question, which could be, you know, do you support keeping the limit the same as it is or 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 um, let's say um, making the limit less strict, you know, like relaxing the limit a bit. And then if you go to relaxing the limit a bit, you to me, you put a few options on the table. You put 10 on the table, like David said, or you even put 12 or 14 on the table. The reason I'd say 12 or 14 should also be put on the table is that currently in the Turkish league, because they operate a foreign limit like the RPL, they're on 14 foreign players in the squad this summer, uh, this season, sorry, and then next season it goes down to 12, and then the following season after that, 2023-24, it goes down to 10 in Turkey. That's I was looking at the structure the other day. So to me, you put those three options on the table, and then whichever one of those gets the most votes, um, if it goes that far, then that's what you go for the limit. But yeah, I'm, I, I think like David, I think my guess at the minute is that we might not get a full abolition, but I think we will get a relaxing of the limit. Uh, personally speaking, I don't think 10 is enough. I think if it's going to be relaxed, it should be relaxed to 12 or 14. Um, but yeah, should be an interesting few days of negotiations 
going forward. So um, we'll have to wait and see. But hopefully, fingers crossed, at minimum it goes to 12 or 14, but ideally removed. Hopefully, it'll be a surprise and a positive surprise from our end um, in the next few days. Yeah, without, without a shadow of a doubt. I think looking at the composition of which clubs voted for it and which for clubs voted against, it's really not surprising that the majority of those who are impacted the most in terms of um, being able to play in the European competition, being able to have more financial clout, um, all almost unanimously vote in favour of. Um, of course, Sochi are the little ones of an outlier there. I mean, yes, they're in Europe. Yes, they have quite a bit of money, especially compared to some of the smaller teams like Ufa. They're not obviously nowhere near as big as the Dinamo, Zenit, uh, Rubin, Krasadar, or Siska, even on their own. But they are, of course, big spenders who are also owned by the same owner as Dinamo. Um, are they double well, for Boris Rotenberg essentially? So whatever Dinamo went with, Sochi were always going to going to go the same way. Um, I mentioned it last week. It's not. It's. I'm both surprised at Spartak as a club not not supporting it right now. But the reasoning, well, it's not surprising. I expected Spartak should, but I expected exactly this because the owner's an absolute nutcase and he would want changes to it, to the proposal, because he wants part of his changes to be the future of the game. He always has done that. I remember when he had those... There's those rules that he he set out a few years ago for where he thinks that Russian football should go in the future, and they weren't the worst ideas. I think one of them was batshit crazy, but like the the rest of them were not like hugely detrimental or, or were actually quite useful at times. But I think he even suggested in that a loosening of the restrictions in, upon the foreigner limit. But it's just more so the fact that he wants to drive change because he's a megalomaniac. He thinks of himself more than he thinks of the club. And that's kind of the way that he's run the club for the entirety of his tenure so far, which is highly dangerous. But I hope that they can come to a consensus. And it, it's the, the good thing is, is that Alexander Zhukov, who may, be, may still just be a mere functionary, but he's a far more experienced functionary and less corrupt than the man that he took over the job from. And he's obviously in charge of the RFU, and he's one of those driving for change. He is quite critical, considering he's the head of the RFU, of the foreigner limit in itself. Um, he has mentioned that he's not quite sure if it's workable to change it, if there's the universal support would be there vociferously enough to be able to do so. But if the man at the very top of the circus is able to maybe invoke some of this influence elsewhere, even if it is upwards towards the man even higher than him, uh, we all know who that is, then that can only help in the long term of getting rid of it. I don't, I, I must admit, I know what these people, these functionaries are like. It's, I, I, I never expected it to go from 100 to zero. So at least going from what, as rumoured, eight to 10 is, is better than nothing, but it's still not enough. And that's a case of the majority of structural issues behind the scenes in, in that the RFU have been discussing in within Russian football, they do something, but it's never enough. It's what the restructuring of match premiere and the restructuring of the TV money and getting in TV money from different countries. 
that's not necessarily their fault because marketing a league is so difficult and it's purely based on more external factors rather than internal, but it's still not quite enough. And that's been the case now for for nigh on a decade, probably even longer, but those who are more experienced in with football in the nation could speak on that far more expertly than we could. But David, any do you want any last last words on the foreign element and aside from and the these these potential structural changes at all? Um, I think just the the one surprise for me was was Rostov. I think you could include Rostov in as one of the big clubs. They've got a big following. They got a big stadium. They have previously spent big and sold big. Let's think. Let's remember. And they've been in Europe. Um, so I would um you know I would put them in that top class and. Uh, um, yeah, a little surprised given given their heart, their their history of of profit on on foreign players. You know, they have they've sold foreign players for for good profits in the past. Ingerson being one, Shmordov um, being another one. Maybe Norman coming soon and Hadzikadunic in the future. Maybe maybe future uh, profitable sales. Um, you know, it's it's the model for a lot of clubs. You know, Russian players are very hard to sell on abroad at the moment. Um, we'll obviously be like to see that change. Obviously, it's going to have to start lower down. Players are going to have to, you know, as the limit kicks in, players are going to be in lesser demand in Russia. They're going to have to go, and then the weaker players are going to have to go out, go to your Poland's, your Czech Republic's, wherever, and then eventually the bigger players will follow. But um, with with the lack of saleability of Russian players, it's always been the model for these clubs. Is okay. We need to buy and sell foreign players, improve them, and make a profit. Um, and for clubs like Rostov, who essentially have their model around that, and most of the mid to mid level clubs, you know, Ural have previously said that that was their model. Amka Perm did before they went bust as well. Said, you know, we want to get to this model. Um, yeah, it's surprised that they've turned down that opportunity. Yeah, it is a surprise. And Rostov aren't like Sochi, where. Sochi are obviously a very young club. They've only existed for what three, four years now, whatever it is. They are what found were founded in what nineteen thirties, pre World War Two. And while during the Soviet era were not particularly successful, I don't think they ever made it into the Vishaya League. Um they only made it into class A in general, only like a couple of occasions in the mid sixties and seventies. But it was even I think the highest they ever got to was the Vittoria, not the not even the second of the first division. Uh, spent most of the most of the history dotting around Group B, Class B. Of course, that was because the other famous Rostov team, Rostov on Don, I don't know, um, famous for Viktor Ponadelnik, um, is a is a totally different entity, totally different football club. It was a little bit like Krasnodar to Kuban. Um, they only really became successful after the fall of the Soviet Union. But looking at their history from then. They are by far one of the biggest clubs in the league in terms of fan base. By far one of the most successful since their relegation in 1993. Early 90s anyway, it doesn't matter. But in terms of the size, you would expect them to support this. You would see that they can, with the new stadium, with the um, increased funding behind the scenes from the ownership group that took place in the last couple of years, that they would support it, but I think you were spot on earlier in saying it's it's literally coming from Siomin, Siomin, and the influence that he'll have at the place, the influence he has anywhere, and he's a, been a vocal critic of 
loosening the limit in the past. So it's not surprising in the least in in terms of Siomen, but I'm surprised that Artunians lets him have so much power because Artunians himself, like I said, has actually been critical of the foreigner limit. Um, Loco, why I think that they have as abstained, I believe, or why they're not giving enough information yet is because of Leon Chenka, uh, one of the directors. He's the general director, I believe, at the club now. And I mentioned it pre-pod to to the guys, but he was one of those who was involved in that Wagner Love racism debacle during the Suska Loco derby. And when he was the head of the Russian Players Football Union, the, the, the Players Union, basically. So imagine being involved in a racist incident, or allegedly involved, sorry, it was never proven, allegedly involved in a racist incident when he was the head of the Players Union, an incident involving a player. So I'll not say much more on that because you might, we might get in trouble, but... I think you could probably read between the lines to be to be frank, but we'll move on now from structural issues because, to be honest, it's all a little bit up in the air still, and it's it is pure speculation at this point and, and rumours and educated guesses that you you get trip fed from different sources and and following some more that are reliable journalists out there, and we will move on to transfer speculation both in terms of what's been revealed exclusively by RFN was ourselves of late and by other reporters and news in general. So, Richard, would you like to kick it off with the latest in the Sada Asmoon, Zenit and Claudinho transfer news? Well, obviously, Claudinho debuted for Zenit uh, last weekend against Dufat. I thought he showed some nice touches in the first half um, of the game. Faded a little bit in the second half, a little bit like Zenit themselves, I think. Uh, obviously, the game finished 1-1. We'll get on to that a bit later. But yeah, Claudinho showed some nice touches on debut. Um, there was one particular incident where he was right by the touchline and the, um, he nutmegged a Rostov, uh, sorry, uh, an Ufa defender and then did a brilliant run um, into the opposition's final third. Laid a pass to Zuba. Zuba used his strength to hold it up, and then Claudino took it off him, and then he drew a foul from uh, one of the UFA players. There was a couple of really nice touches. He seemed to play, you know, in the wide area in a playmaking role. You know, slotting balls through a couple of dribbling runs. I really, I enjoyed his performance. Like I say he faded a bit second half, but I think the whole Zenit team did. But yeah, he has now debuted for Zenit, and I'm happy to see them integrating them quick. They need to because their Champions League campaign is coming up soon. Uh, the Sardar Asmund chat's interesting. I think we, we got win last night, didn't we, of um, Olympic Lyonnais in France's Liga have made um, an €11 million Euro bid for, for Asmund. Um, I mean, this the Asmund situation is an interesting one, isn't it? Because, you know, um, Zenit can't really leave getting a replacement if Asmund goes too late. Because obviously the window, I think it will probably imagine it will probably shut on the last day of August, which will be the thirty um, next Tuesday. Interesting on the same day that the um, the structure, the future structure of the league is decided. Um, but obviously, that date is when players are away on international duty, and you know deadline day on international duty on when players are being called up left, right, and centre for internationals is quite a difficult thing to do. So to me, with Zenit right now. I think if anybody is going to buy Asmund from them, I think Zenit have got to set a deadline of Sunday. And I think if that deadline is not met, then he's going to have to stay at Zenit because they're going to have to source a replacement if they sell him. Um, I don't. I think 
Zenit have left themselves in a bit of a difficult situation too with the price because obviously 11 million is, I think, low for for a player of Asmund's potential ability. You know, I think he's definitely got the ability to play in the top five league. But obviously the reason why Leon's bid is 11 million is, and I understand it, is because he's in the last year of his contract at Zenit. And I think 11 million, 10, 11 million mark is around what Zenit paid for him. It might have been a bit less or around that, I think. I can't remember exactly. But yeah, Zenit have left themselves in a bit of a sticky situation here. Um, and I don't even think they can ask for that much because if he doesn't leave this window, I, I really think they're going to be struggling to get him onto a new contract because Asmundem would have the power to basically leave on a free next summer. So it's going to be an interesting development. Uh, and it'd be interesting to see if any other clubs enter the fray for Asmoon. Um, I certainly think anything around 15, 20 million, then it might well have to consider doing business because ultimately with one year left on his contract, and potentially might not renew. At 26, this is probably one of his last chances to get to one of the big five Western European leagues. So it's going to be an interesting development, but I would definitely mm. set a deadline from Zenit that this has to be done by Sunday because they don't want to be dashing around at the last minute trying to find a replacement. Um, but yeah, it should be intriguing to see what goes on in the next few days. Yeah, I think the, the biggest spanner in the works is the fact that he is in the last year of his contract and and there's been obviously clubs sniffing around for quite some time now. Um, I think Asmund's been linked with moves abroad for, for God, as long as I can bloody remember. But if I remember rightly, it was, wasn't it? Twelve million that Zenit got him for. I, I don't know if I've got that 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 figure accurate. Obviously, it was quite a while ago now. I but... think it was ten plus bonuses was what Ruben right, had um... agreed. And we got minimal profit when, when when they won the league. I think Ruben got some bonuses. Mm. Is it? Oh, yeah. Um, of course, um, the defender was twelve million, literally in the same window. Um, David, what do you think? Do you think we've seen? Do you think this will be Asmund's last last window in Russia or potentially the winter transfer window is when he could move off with even less time on his contract? Well, I hope it's his last. Um, not for, you know, not to de- devalues in it, but, um, you know, I've been, personally, I've been watching Asmund for, God, nine years now, since he was 17 when he first joined Rubin. Um and yeah, as you say, he's, he's been linked with moves away since he was about 18, 19. Um, Arsenal scoured him very early on when he was still at Rubin, I remember, um, when he when they were training near to us. Um, so yeah, I think he's done his time. He's you know he's put in the hard work at th- three clubs in Russia. You know, he's done very well. He'll go down in, probably as one of the, the greatest strikers in the RPL of the certainly of the century, you'd imagine. You know, he's... He's right up there, and uh, yeah, he deserves that chance to go, go to a bigger league, um, and do it and show what he can do. Um, so yeah, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that he he gets his move. Yeah, me too. It would be good. It's it's another one of those where it's a, it would be a shame to see the back of him and watch him week in week out. But it can only be good for the RPL in the long term that the other teams can see these players going abroad and, and being a success and just creates it more of a generous and attractive marketplace for the bigger leagues. Uh, David, I'll come straight back to yourself. What's the latest on the Kavicha rumours after some developments earlier on today? Well, you'll see he's been injured for the last uh, 
last week or so, missed missed the last two fixtures. Um, there was a period there where where they thought he was going to stay. Uh, obviously, Ruben a pretty stacked foreign players. Um, with ten, with ten on the books as it stands, um, and, and allegedly, although clubs been linked all summer, no no bids. Um, and then this morning and today, it sort of was revealed that Ruben are, are going in for another winger, um, Anders Drea from Midtjylland, um, for seven million euros. So that's that's a a hefty fee after we'd already spent a similar amount on Haksabanovic. Um, and in, in my head, as soon as I saw it, I thought, okay, well, that, that's, that's completely gone. He, he's surely can't go, can't uh, stay, um, on paper. It looks like actually having, having caught a bit of, uh, Dre's, um, highlights and I was, I was watching some, some clips of Dre beforehand before we came on. He, he actually is more of a Makara replacement by the left footed, uh, playing off the right. And uh, seems to love a shot from wherever, which is very Makarovsky. The first clip I saw of him was him doing three feints before scoring. It was like almost a carbon copy of the goal that Makarov scored against Zenit. Um But even so, that leaves Ruben with with too many foreigners and an extra foreign winger. I just thought, okay, surely he's on the move. Um, Vladislav Zimogulov, formerly of, of Sports Business Online, I think he's with Sport Express now. He posted on Telegram that Rubin would be um, trying to part way with Saito, Yevtich, um, and Begic, and that as of today, Rubin had yet to receive a concrete offer for um, Kratzkelia, uh, and that they currently don't envisage him leaving. So that would leave Rubin with three very talented uh, attacking midfielders. Um, it would be it's a shame to see Saito go, but I think the talk is that they'll they'll pick him up permanently and loan him out with the anticipation of the limit changing next season. Begic will be replaced by Talbi. Then Yevtic is a bit of a loss, admittedly. Not the best player, but can pull Ruben out of sticky situations like he did in midweek with a good goal against uh, Kimki. Um, and he, with him and Saito going, it just leaves us maybe a man short in midfield would be, would be my position unless a Russian player comes in. Um... So who knows? Still a week left. Obviously, Creature's been linked to plenty of clubs. That that stuff, information from Zimogulov may be dated or incorrect. My my heart still says that he probably would go. I think, uh, I mean, the whole situation seems to be geared up that Ruben are preparing for him to go uh, by spending an, another big fee uh, on Andrea, who, as we've seems to be a uh, uh, sort of ready, first team ready player, but um, it, it's still a bit up in the air as to where he might go. You know, he's been linked to to plenty of clubs. The Milan interest seems to have cooled. Spurs interest, they, they seem to be veering towards Adama Traore. Uh, so there, there's no real team in the lead when it comes to to that link at the moment. And uh, yeah, we we may well see him in Russia for for the rest of the season. Um, as it stands, but I wouldn't be surprised if we also don't. Uh, yeah, I think it's there's a lot to play for still in this last week of the window. Yeah, it's another one where obviously linked to 
very big moves throughout the entirety of the summer, a lot of which coming from both the Georgian press and the Moscow-based press, as you would expect, but also moving over from Italy in the Damasio and Fabrizio Romano camp, and they do seem to be more accurate, if that's a correct word, or or closer on to on some speculation. The transfers have more have a lot of sources throughout Europe, so there's definitely the interest there. I mean, as you said, he's the remaining RPL contender in for the Golden Boy Award, so there's obviously people looking for him. And to be honest, I hope it's done sooner rather than later to allow him to have that time to acclimatise, to allow him to have more time from the potential team and fans that he would arrive at. Because if you're younger, they, then people naturally give you more leeway. Um, so hopefully sooner rather than later, and he doesn't leave it too late. Like one Alexander Kokorin did, where it was like 10 years in a prison sentence later. <laughs> um, <laughs> Richard, do you think Vlasic will be off or... Will he continue his career at Cisco? Well, we've seen in the last couple of days, haven't we, that there's been a bid, reportedly a bid from West Ham um, for Vlasic. Um, I heard the figure was around €30 million. Euros. I mean, I've got to admit, I find that, that that fee difficult to believe. I'm not surprised that there is a bid in for him, but €30 million is quite steep, especially, you know, don't get me wrong, he's got a high reputation, but... I was wondering, would perhaps him having been to the Premier League before with Everton and then being loaned out to Siskar before joining them permanently, would that maybe have dissuaded clubs from putting in a large fee? That's what I a large bid. That's what I was thinking when that rumor broke. Um, but yeah, West Ham are the team at the minute that seemed to be in for Vlasic. If you believe um, the rumors, um, it's again. I think it's a bit like feature. It'd be interesting to see the next couple of days uh what does happen um and again i think anything could literally happen at this point um he you know he could he could still stay um or you know there's still f- f- five six days of the window to go yet uh i won't i still won't rule out an exit um west ham is an interesting move for him i think um they've got european football this season so they will need a deeper squad um and but yeah, the fee for it did seem quite steep. You know, I mean, I'm not definitely not saying for one minute that Premier League clubs could not afford him, but 30 million, because given that they seem to be the ones spending the most money in the market in the minute, even despite you know COVID hitting it. But yeah, 30 million did seem a bit steep. So I'm I'm not sure whether those fees are completely that reported fee is accurate or not, but. I can certainly see interest in him in the next few days. Um, I've noticed actually as well that in the last few days around Europe, the market has picked up a little bit now. So maybe it was a case of a lot of clubs waiting and seeing what they had, waiting for the season to start, seeing what they had before then making their move. Or maybe it was a case of one transfer goes through, which kickstarts the domino effect. So the market has picked up a little bit overall the last couple of days. So um, yeah. It'd be interesting to see, but West Ham had a team at the minute who reportedly made a bid. Um, what happens with Milan? I don't know. I mean, you know, Milan have hit. There's been rumours about them coming in for both Kvitsa and Vlasic. I thought having have a net negative spend of, I think they got a net negative spend of around 50, 60 million euros at the minute, Milan. So I thought them being in for both was unrealistic. It was going to be either one of Vlasic or, or Kvitsa. Um, at the minute, obviously, I, I think at the moment, Vlasic to Milan probably is 
more realistic than than Kvitsa, but we'll just have to wait and see. Um, if thirty million might be a stretch for clubs, I have a feeling if they are going to get a sale here, Siskadim, if those if that reported figure is what clubs have bid, they might have to lower their price. So. Mm-hmm. I'm just finding that I'm not surprised he's being linked with clubs, but I'm finding that 30 million euro asking price perhaps a bit unrealistic. But you know, we'll have to wait and see. Like I said, next five six days, I suspect there'll be some late deals this window. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, I think it's been a a lot of managers is managers and sporting directors have actually commented on this earlier in the window, discussing how particularly earlier one early early on it was quite a stagnant one, um, because of the delay of the Olympics and the Euros. You had both of them this this um, this summer. I had so that would cause the bigger teams whose players are away to wait and see until the players what fit and fatigue levels the players were in when they would return. Obviously, that each most of the big leagues have had some form of protracted transfer, like the Grealish, Sancho, Lukaku, Messi, um, all of those big ones across. The various different leagues have kind of fallen into place now, and would and you'll see the the domino effect of the smaller clubs, and then further down, spending less and less as it goes along. There's lo- and then p- replacing them with players from the lower leagues and such. So it, it has been stagnant, but it seems like hopefully in the last week or so, it's it is certainly picking up. And to move on to the last player that we'll focus on is one who have picked up. Um, Finally, a replacement for Grigor Shkakoviak, who went to Krasnodar. And that's Lokomotiv, who've signed uh, Alexis Becker-Becker. So, David, this is actually an RFN exclusive, but what would you expect from the young Frenchman in the RPL? Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, we, we broke the story, uh, I think, a day before RMC picked up in, in France. Um, he was obviously heavily linked to Nice and... Uh, as the story goes, Ralph Ragnick went across to France and uh, persuaded uh, Beck Becker to, to come to Lokomotiv, and he was then present at, at their match over the weekend and was announced as a signing on uh, on the Monday, I think. Um, I, I must admit, I, I did not know anything about him before before the rumours. Um, he went to the Olympics with the French team, so that you know, gives you a sort of an idea of, of where he stands in terms of ability. Um, you know, that's it was a weak team that they sent, uh, considering that a lot of the young French players are in the senior team. Um, but he played a full season with Khan in, in Ligue 1 last year. And, uh, no, sorry, Ligue, Ligue 2. I think they've just been promoted. Um, actually, as a lie, they've not been promoted. But he, he played a full season. It was his first senior season. Uh, Seven million is, is the fee uh, that they paid. Um. And it'll be interesting to see, yeah, whether he can adapt straight in. I think Kamado will be a big, um, a big help in helping Becca Becker to adapt. Obviously, they'll share the language. Uh, you know, they both speak French, and they both come from the French leagues. So that will be a big help in his his adaptation. Um, it seems like he, he's going to be ready for the for the first team though straight away. Um, whether he's a similar player, he looks quite slight. Uh, I've not seen any footage of him playing at all, so I've actually no idea what sort of style of player he is um, on the field. Um, but you'd have to hope. Granted, Loco are doing fairly well, and they've got some good depth in there uh, for the midfield, but Krikoviak was that sort of link, wasn't he, between the defence and attack, and 
Um, you know, with with guys like Kulikov, Mikheyev, and Baranov, they're all they're all the deep midfielders. Anton Ramchuk's been plagued with a hip injury all year, which is why he's not been featuring. Uh, that was the that was the story that broke this week. Um, so Becca Becker and and another another uh, and another link, uh, Tina Anjorin of Chelsea, um, seemingly the two players who who they're looking to bring in to, to fill the Kropiak gap, essentially. So we'll quickly just finish off with one last player. Uh, David, you've been following the story of Matthias Norman for quite some time now. Uh, what's your understanding of the latest developments in his long protracted, hopeful move away from Rostov? Uh, so yeah, so from our perspective, you know, RFM, we we believe that the player is is fairly desperate to leave the club. Um, he, he wants to go. The club don't want him to go, particularly now that the manager's changed. They were still, still sort of semi-keen on him going beforehand. Um, but since they changed manager to Siomin, uh, they don't want to let him go, obviously, because he is a key player and they want him to be as part of part of the build under Siomin. Uh, but Norman is, is fairly desperate to leave and has been so for apparently quite some time. Um, he has obviously suffered with injuries a lot over the last year, uh, but is back in, in the first team and has actually was very good uh, this weekend against Nishin Novgorod. Um, the, the story goes that Norwich made a bid. It was a loan offer, 2 million fee up front with a obligation to purchase for 14 million. These are euros, these fees, if they aren't relegated. Um, neither the player nor Rostov were happy with that. Rostov want a guaranteed fee, uh, whether they're relegated or not. And Norman doesn't want to be locked into a team that may get relegated. Um, so that one seems to be sort of a, sort of a dead end, uh, unless they can come up with some sort of compromise. Um, the other team who is rumoured to be sort of showing some interest is is Newcastle, um, but the signing of Joe Willock maybe has put put paid to that. Um, obviously, we know Norman's a bit of a box to box player, a bit like a bit like Willock is. Um, so that one maybe is at a dead end. Um, also, um, but you know the the player the player wants to leave desperately. The club don't particularly want him to leave. Um, it just needs a team to come in with a, a suitable offer. You know. Um, alone with an obligation to buy or a, or a straight-up full transfer. And uh, that, what, that one will almost certainly happen. If, if a team can meet that offer, he'll, he'll be offered the first opportunity. Um, but yeah, that, that's the latest, certainly, on, on the Norman situation. Might be a little bit selfish, but I hope from my point of view that Willock signing for Newcastle is certainly... Um, a sign that Norman will not be moving there because I really enjoy watching him play. I think he's a really talented player who could definitely make the step up and being linked with Premier League clubs is not necessarily surprising, although I don't think he would hit the ground running immediately. Um, With any luck, he won't hit the ground running at all there just to make them as bad as possible. Uh, But anyway, we'll move on to the last of the three topics and that's just a quick little recap of some of the latest RPL action. And as I did mention Dinamo Moscow are now the top of top of the RPL table. And Richard, you 
caught their game against Ural at the weekend, and you've, of course, kept a, a closer eye on Dinamo for quite a few years now. What do you think of them this season? Yeah, um, they're certainly um, much up- upgraded and improved from past um, from last season. You can tell now, I think, it's coming up to almost a year now since Sandro Schwartz took charge. I'd, I'd imagine now, probably it was around October last year. So you're coming up to around a year now in charge. And once a manager's been in charge for that long, so you're looking at 25 games in charge, 30 or 25 to 30 games in charge, you start to see how they're imposing their tactics, their style on the team. And it definitely looks like now Schwartz has, um, has imposed it. You know, um, integration of young players, quick quick passing moves. Um, they're certainly creating a lot of chances. They they, they absolutely battered around at the weekend. Um, admittedly, Eric Bitfalvi's um, early red card in the first half played an impact on the result. Um, well, played an impact on the eventual, the way the game played out because um, Ural didn't have a single shot at all during the game. Um, I mean, I don't think they would have beaten or, or drawn with Dinamo anyway if Big Falvey had stayed on the pitch because they were totally dominant even before the red card. Dinamo were totally dominant. Um, so, but yeah, it, it was just a total mismatch against Ural. You know, the 1-0, just to get away with a 1-0 defeat, I think flattered Ural a lot. Um, Dinamo could have had more. Thought the goalkeeper, Ural's goalkeeper, played a blinder. He made a couple of good saves from um, Chu Carvin, who took his goal really well. Another assist from Ars- Arsene Zakarian. And Zakaya and, and um, Chukavi was actually very unlucky not to score early in the second half. Chukavin put a beautiful ball through, which sliced open the Ural defence. Chukavin went on to it. He put it past the keeper, but then Adamov, the um, Ural defender, just hacked it off the line. Um, I think Dinamo hit the post or bar. The woodwork, yeah, they hit the post bar like two or three times in the second half as well, uh, from what I recall of the game. Just a very, yeah, comfortable victory. Probably the only thing you could say really is they probably need to be a bit more clinical, take a few more chances. Um, but if they still keep creating those those amount of chances, then they, they will eventually have a field day against someone, you would think. Um, that's probably the only thing I would say at the minute, just be a bit more clinical up front, take the chances. Makarov came close with, a, with a, a volley from just outside the box. Yeah, I think Dinamo are coming along really, really nicely. Um, this is a good test at the weekend against Lokomotiv. Um, you can tell like when I when I first read about Sandro Schwartz coming to Russian football, I think I read a piece on total football analysis uh, from his time at Mainz, and they mentioned one thing was overload in the centre. And I've definitely noticed that with some of their attacking plays. You know, they 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 play you know a four three two one system, a narrow a narrow attack system in the middle where it's very much dependent on you know to break through the lines, quick transition, quick quick passing. Uh, quick combination play overload in the centre and playing in tight spaces and you can tell it's having an impact now on the team they look fully integrated into what the coach coach's philosophy is what his tactics are and yeah this weekend's game against um, against Lokomotiv is a good test you know it's uh, I'm really looking forward to it it's probably the game of the week and yeah they can uh, it's at home so Dinamo can win that and yeah going into the Astro break top of the league is um, quite a statement. Um, they're certainly mm-hmm. looking good for a top five finish and possibly European football next season. I think it's important to keep the expectations in check, uh, not get too carried away. But yeah, they're coming along nicely, Dinamo at the moment, I think. Yeah, hard to, hard to disagree with much of that. I think not only is the football effective, aside from the Akhmat game, where Akhmat, to be fair, but 
I thought absolutely outstanding, probably the best I've seen them play under Talalayev. Um I think they played some of the most attractive among the most attractive football in the league. Uh to quickly stay with yourself, Richard, and stay in Moscow, you also kept an eye on Siska's match of the, at the weekend as well. Yeah, um, against Datmat. Again, I think the game was conditioned as well by the red card, a red card early on. Uh, I think it was um, Harin, I think, who got sent off for Akmat, if, if my mind serves me correctly. Um, it took, took Siska a while to break them down. Um, you know, I say you can tell they're a well coached side and the Talalaya that Matt, um, coach, do who I do like in the RPL. But yeah, they got the win. Um, it was nice to see the youngster, um, Yakovlev, the young striker, score. Um, and speaking of another transfer away from the RPL, I have heard Adolfo Geish earlier today it broke that he's been linked with a move to Feyenoord. And I actually wouldn't be surprised if that does go through. Um, or whether it's final who bid for him, whether Geist does leave before deadline day, because I found it quite interesting that he was one of three strikers on the bench, Geish, and, you know, um, I think it was Zabalotny and Yakovlev got on ahead of him, you know, and Siskar bringing a young youth academy product onto the pitch ahead of you, then that's a pretty damn strong sign that even though you're registered, you're probably going to be on your way soon, because if Siskar are going to play a one-man striker formation under under Berezutsky, they, they don't need four strikers. Um, so, you know, I think guys probably might be on his way. But it was good to see the young kid, um, Yakovlev, score. It was a good ball that Chaloff, you know, floated a ball across the box to him and he was there to nod home. And again, the star man of the show for Siska again was um, Chidari Ajuke. Uh, it was a brilliant goal, brilliant second goal that he scored for Siska. Um, just a classic Robin-esque, like, cut in from the wing. And hammered it into the bottom corner, and he's just he's he's really developing now. I think into Suska's main man. I think when Vlasic leaves, he's going to take the reins and become the the main threat for them in attack. I love the way he can play good combination passes um, in tight spaces in the centre. He can he's got that ability to cut inside in that inside forward role. Um, you can see the decision making ability of Ijuke has improved a lot this season, which um, you know it, it will it will take a little bit of time with young players. I think people have got to remember that as well. You know, when he came in last season, there was there was inconsistencies, but the talent was there. And I think this time round, over time, um, you know, players improve and they get more consistent. They get better with their actions. I mean, Vinic- I watch a lot of La Liga, and Vinicius Junior is like that at Real Madrid at the moment. You know, he's gradually progressing every year. The inconsistency with decision making get gradually gets reduced. And I'm seeing similarities with um, with Ejuke this season, and I think he he's going to be the main man for Siska when um, Vlasic departs. But yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean, I think they've steadied the ship a little bit now under Berezutsky. This is the real test at the weekend against Zenit, but Zenit haven't been playing particularly well recently, so Siska might might give them a good run for their money this weekend. That's that's probably the other game that I'm really looking forward to seeing. Um, so some stability from Berezutsky, but this weekend is the real acid test. But yeah, it was a good win. It was a good win for them. Yeah, really good win. The the Siska genuinely this season absolutely baffle me. They play really, really nice football. Um obviously would have been undone by defensive mistakes. I think it was Bial himself who gave away a penalty in the Dinamo game, which Daniel Fomin as always duly dispatched. Uh Naya Teknizian was torn apart by Rifat and the other uh, Moscow derby, the lost against Loco at home. So it's not perfect. It's far from perfect, actually. But 
the quality of Cisco's play and the entertainment value of Cisco's play is probably the best it's been since Kuncharenka was in his pomp. But if you just, just take, say, the weekend side, the, the, the tour Akhmat apart, Akhmat were pretty poor. But if you look at it, you've got Vlasic playing largely out of position, more so on the right-hand side. Jacobiol out of position, playing central defence, having played the entirety for the sp- of the spine of the team for Siska from defence to striker. And Ivan Oblyakov playing at left-back, also slightly out of position. In theory, it shouldn't really work. Chalov, you would think, would be bullied up top, especially against Akhmat's three giant defenders in Nizic, Putska and Semyonov. But it just works really well. And I think a lot of that really is down to just how good Fernandez and Ejuke have been this season. But also Igor Deveev and Xhaka Biol. Biol's quality in progressing the ball out of out from the back is really, really good. And not particularly surprising considering he has played in, in far more attacking positions. But fair credit to Berlizutski because he's organising them defensively. Deveev was excellent again at the weekend. I think he was... One of the statistically one of the highest rated players during in, in the entire game. Won one hundred percent of his aerial duels as well. And like I say, against a big Akmat team. I mean, that's aside from the three centre defenders who are well over six foot two, six foot three, there's always there's also Mohamed Kanate up top, who's no slouch himself. So to win one hundred percent of your aerial duels in that just shows why Deveev performed for the national team in the in the Euros, was one of the few to come out with credit. And has been linked with moves to higher clubs in Europe. So a little bit baffled by it, but absolutely fair enough to them. Uh, David, you caught Ufa in their impressive results at Zenit at the weekend as well. Yeah, um, they've had a, a decent start under uh, under Stukalov this season. Um, you know, after their... Struggles last year, Stukov was what turned it around for them and he saved them. And um, another good result this weekend against Zenit. Um, first half wasn't great. Uh, they conceded. It was a poor goal to concede and it was Azir Ali who was playing left wing back completely. Just let, just ignored Malcolm. He had a glance over his shoulder, saw him. And then that was it. Malcolm suddenly ran in onto a very good long ball over the top. But it was literally Rakitsky, ball over the top from the centre circle. Malcolm controls it inside the penalty area with no one around him and just slots it home. Uh, and Zenit could have scored more in the first half. But then second half, Rufo were, um, until certainly until they scored, which they scored in the 74th minute, were, were the dominant team. And for the sort of maybe five minutes after that as well, um, they looked like they were going to go and ride that momentum. Uh, and then Zenit had a go for the last 10 minutes when Ufa sort of decided we should play for the draw here. Um, but they couldn't break through. Obviously, Belenov made a made a big save from Claudinho. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the goal they scored was a little bit lucky. It was a rare mistake from, from Wilmar Barrios, actually. Um, gave the ball away in defence. Um, and then easy pass across and Aguilarov unmarked in the box just had to, had essentially an empty net to tap into um, but you know that's what we are there for you know they, they take those chances when they get them normally um, and they can grind out those results and we know it um, also great to see Ostonarunov was back 
Uh, he's obviously joined them again on loan. And oh my word, they had an insane counter-attack to, to go and take the lead not long after they scored it, um, which it was spurred on by Runov. Zenit had a free kick on on the edge of the youth box. Cleared away, Runov takes it away, not makes a Zenit player. And then it's suddenly, if they have a three-on-one or a three-on-two at a push. And uh, it's a combination of of Arunov's ball is about a yard over here, and Agalarov just delays his run slightly. He he turns around to watch Arunov to make sure the ball's coming. If he just gets his head down and runs, he has no he have no threat of being offside because Douglas Santos is in front of him at this point. Uh, but Douglas is mark is in the middle because there's a man bombing down the right wing as well. If Agalarov carries on his run as he did without stuff without slowing up, which is what he did, he slowed up and looked around to make sure the ball was coming to him then he gets to that ball in time to score easily. But because he's delayed his run and because therefore the pass was a touch over here, um, Kurzhikov gets there just to smother the ball at his feet. Uh, but it was a huge chance, you know, and just, you know, it just shows the difference, you know, between, a, a, you know, a top player and a player like Agalarov, obviously, who's, who is just a good young player in a, in a third tier league, second or third tier league. Uh, but, you know, hopefully he'll learn from that and, it just shows that Zenit are impervious, are not impervious to defeat. You know, they've they've not been overly impressive, certainly in defence this season. Um, I think they, they've conceded multiple goals in almost every... I don't think... I think they may have kept one clean sheet so far. Um, and yeah, a, a very good result from, from the youth perspective. Um, I, I was very pleased for them. Obviously, you know, I've always had a soft spot. And uh, yeah, they, they're going good guns at the moment. I'll just quickly keep on Kamid Agalarov because I think his form has taken quite a few by surprise this season. Um, for those who maybe do not know as much about him, he is uh, he's only 21. Obviously, we see a member of the Anji uh, Academy, um, born in Magachkala in Dagestan. He moved to Ufa in 2020 and spent, was it half of last year, was it again, David? On uh, Yeah, it was from January yeah, on, on loan at Volga. Yeah. Um, but if correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe in all your Finnael scouting pieces that we published last year, Agalarov didn't actually appear in any of them. So are you surprised and a little bit taken aback by his quick start? Well, I mean, obviously you followed Agalarov. We first wrote about him when he was 17. But um, what I thought was going to happen with Agalarov and Idris Umayev is the other player who I thought this was going to happen with. Both of those guys are both 21-22 and both had good second half of the season on loan in the Fenial. Agalarov scored uh, for, I think, five or six goals in you know, six or in like 12 appearances for Volgar. And uh, Umayev scored a similar amount for Chaika. Uh, and I just thought, okay, both these guys, Agalarov especially, will still count as a Lunichik. So he could go to, the, like, a Fenial club would surely want him and I'm sure there were clubs interested. Uh, I thought Feniel club will want him. He's a limit chick. He's got proven record now on the Feniel. He he will do a very good job for any team there as a striker. But uh, obviously he did enough to impress Stukalov. Um, you know what Stukalov's like. You know he's he had a young squad at Velez. He's taken that on. He's got a young squad now. At Ufa and he's he's given him the chance. Um, and yeah, we're very pleased for him. He obviously, he's received his first under twenty-one call-up as well. 
so yeah, a little bit surprising, but um, he's obviously put in the work, and we we've seen his pedigree at youth level of, of being a goal scorer. Um, he and he's you know he's now showing it. He's he's four four goals in, second top scorer in the league. So um, all credit to him. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, it's it's great to see some a surprise come in like that, and hopefully he can he can keep it up, and he doesn't. It isn't just a little bit of a adrenaline fueled flash in the pan because he has, like you said, shown some real flashes of quality, if potentially naive at other times as well. But David, to return straight back to yourself, you also kept an eye on Krasnodar's game at the weekend, and I think you want to reserve some particular praise for Jan Cordova. Yeah, Krasnodar, um, there's praise and there's definitely uh, criticism to be lumped at them here. Um, they conceded two awful goals to concede um you know within if you've conceded within the first seven minutes a counter-attack which i think in the first i think the first goal was a four on three counter-attack which locomotive had um that's not ideal that's not how you want to start a game um but that's how Krasno are playing you know their wing backs get up high they've got they started with a defender defensive duo of chernikov and and sorokin who both ball players. Sorokin's a ball playing centre half. Chervnikov is is a midfielder um, by by nature. So both of those like to get a bit higher up and like to play with the ball. Uh, the wing backs we know love to get forward. Uh, Petrov and Ramirez, and it just left them overly exposed. And the locomotive took very uh, good advantage of that. Um, the second goal was just absolutely horrendous defending from from Krasnodar. Um, when Sorokin lost the ball, I took a screenshot and tweeted it um, of, of the moment when Sorokin lost the ball for, for the second goal. So he's about 15 yards inside the opposition half. And he's got an option out to his left, which if he takes the pass early, he's got, but he dallies because he wants to play a, a more uh, progressive pass. And that option then disappears. So he's then forced to try this risky pass into Gabella, which he plays attached short. Uh, the defender gets in, uh, and Locos suddenly have a three-on-one. And this is only half an hour into the game. They suddenly have a three-on-one counter, um, because Chernikov's the only other guy back who was on about the halfway line. Sorokin dives in to try and stop it, is then out of the game because he misses the tackle. Chernikov then dives in and also misses the tackle, leaving Smolov with essentially a, a tap-in, which he duly took. So, yeah, more defensive nightmares for Krasnodar. Um, Goncharenko then resorted to bringing on Kayo at half-time. Uh, imagine having defensive problems and then bringing on <laughs> Kayo. And he didn't even replace the two who were on the pitch already. Sorokin stayed on for the rest of the game. I think he took off Yonov and moved Chernikov into midfield. Now, granted, they didn't concede in the second half and Kayo was actually fairly good. Um, and they gave it a good go. You know, they they had the chances to, to make this game level. Loco backed off. Um, Krasner had a lot of the ball. They had a lot more shots. Um, John Cordova, uh, as you said, I want to put a lot of praise on him. He's he's clearly a very, very good striker, um, and he will carry on scoring a lot of goals this season. I have no doubt about it, unless he gets injured. Um, you know, his his strength, um, his general hold up play, his general just striker play. He's just got it. He's he's just a very good striker, particularly for this level, and. Um, you know, he scored a very good goal again. He had other moments where you just you couldn't believe how he was still in control of the ball. Um, you know, he's really capable of competing physically with the 
with the defenders in the RPL uh, and against the small teams when Krasnodar get get themselves together, I have no doubt that he'll be able to score buckets. You know, he could have had a couple last week against Dural that hit the penalty, hit the bar with his penalty. Sorry, and uh, yeah, very good signing. Uh, I think we you know, we did touch on it last week, but very good signing, and he showed it again this week. Um, but ultimately, that that team is going to carry on struggling unless they can sort out the defence and they can't sort out their defence until they sort out their foreigners. Uh, there's talk that Klaassen may go. Uh, Villeneuve wasn't in the squad. He he wants to leave and there's rumours that he maybe could go to Sampdoria. If that spot opens up, they've got to go and get a, a foreign player. Obviously, Spajic, not, not playing at the moment, I presume just injured, but uh, it'd be good if they can get him back as well. But they need to get Spajic in and get someone to play ahead of both Sorokin and Kaio. Sorokin and Kaio need to be the backups at best. Um, and then if they if the spot for the foreign is opening up, which it looks like it might do with Villeneuve, that's what they need to do. Um, but there's promising signs there, but there's too many problems there to, to make it too optimistic for them this season. Hmm. I'm not particularly sure if Vilhenia would be that massive of a miss. Obviously, he had pedigree. Yeah, um, uh, He's be performed better this year, but I just don't think he's ever really fit into Krasnodar's game. In, in Krakowiak, you've got a similar sort of ready-made replacement. All I can really remember from Vilhenia doing was slowing down the game too much because he doesn't quite have the technical ball-playing ability of some of the other midfielders in the Krasnodar side, and then taking long pot shots. So you might as long well get shots. someone who's Better, yeah. better at that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and he they had his one good game out of him in the first game of the season where he scored two pot shots against Ural while playing at left-back. That's where he'd started the season, playing at left-back. And now Ramirez <laughs> is fit again, and Petrov is fit again, so now they don't need him at left-back. Um, so, yeah, I I've, you know, I don't particularly rate him. I think they can do better with that foreigner spot, and, you know, the defence needs addressing. So if they can ship him out for a decent fee and the, allegedly the player wants to go... And get it done and get a replacement in. I think that's often why we are so harsh on on players like Kayo and Vilhenia, speaking of Krasnodar, is because of the foreign element that was started that were mentioned and discussed at the start of the pod. Yep. If it wasn't for because these positions were such a premium in in these squads, most I mean, without treating the lower league teams unfairly, the teams lower in the league. It is even more of a premium at those who have been in the Champions League and Europa League of late because of the the self-created disadvantage they're always going to be at. So you really don't want someone who's mistake-prone or passenger in games to be taking up a crucial spot for a foreigner in the composition of the squad. Just as a a lead on then. So I was posed a question during the week by Hanu. Who is the worst uh, foreigner in the league? It, it took me a little while, and I came up with Yanchu from from Ahmat and maybe Rodakovic <laughs> from Arsenal Tula. But I must admit, I did not consider Kayo. I'd sort of forgotten about him. In terms of worst foreigner in the league, ability-wise, probably not. But worst no. foreigner in relation to the team that he's in and how important he has to be for that team. Who you know, he's not good enough for a European quality team. You know, stick him in a Ural, he'd probably be great, and you you think he's a great foreigner. But actually, in a team like Krasnodar, who who need reliability and better players, he's not good enough. But uh, I just was keen to maybe get your who's the worst foreigner in the league opinion 
know, Personally, I would have to say Bruno Fuchs. Um, while in the same breath, I don't believe he is by far the single worst foreigner in the league in terms of a pure ability alone, but the money that he costs, the position that he takes up, and the ratio of cost to minutes on the pitch. I think he's played, what, less than 90 minutes since his arrival at Cisco. Okay. I mean, yeah. you could even rival that with the other Argentinian guy at Cisco. On pure ability, then. Let's go pure ability. Because, oh, God. I mean, we don't we don't know enough on Fuchs. I think he's still only played that first 18 minutes that he got last year. I don't think he's played yeah. that since. But on pure ability... It's, it would be unfair to, to probably put him in too much of a uh, too much impetus upon him and too much blame upon him for that, but pure ability is probably someone I would think someone like Nemanja Miletic at, at Ufa. Mm. Every time I see him, he's just absolutely hopeless, and I, I look at him and I think, why are Ufa bringing this guy in? I think against, was it the last last time I saw him was in the Dinamo game. Um, every single goal came from down his side. For me and, and, and Szymanski absolutely slaughtered him. Um, and I'm just and Jakar, to be fair, Zakarian wasn't very good that game, but it was Samanski in particular who absolutely slaughtered him. Uh, he hasn't played since. I think he's been on the bench since then for Ufa. Um, maybe that's a little bit harsh, but probably, probably yeah, Milatic or or I mean, Kai. I have to go Kai. I don't know after the some of the the uh, the way that I've treated him last season and the the the, the pressure put I've been he's been put under and. Just this, the sheer gravitas of the mistakes and how often the mistakes come from him. Richard, who would you think? It may be a pure ability alone or other external factors <laughs> as the worst foreigner. Yeah, some good shouts there from you guys. I probably have to agree with some of those. Um, yeah, and, and Kayo, yeah, I think, regrettably. I'll say a guy who was signed as a defensive midfielder and then rocks up as a central defender <laughs> and then just, yeah, really mistake prone. And and I totally agree with what you were saying. And yeah, some of the other ones that you mentioned too, I certainly agree with as well. And just, yeah, I, th- I think like what David said, I think we've mentioned it on previous pods, we're so, we really are now starting with the limit to question the presence now, question all the overseas players in the league now because of the limit. Because are you getting best value for the spot because they are valuable spots for foreign players given we have a strict limit in the league and and yeah you have to say it's a bit on the clubs really that they probably could have maybe scouted a bit better I mean obviously every transfer you make is a gamble and a risk you don't know some players might have a good reputation before they sign and they just flop they might not settle but but yeah you, you do really question don't you the 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 value of players when you have a foreign limit in place. And um, and I, I think going off what we've just discussed there, I think that's why going back briefly to the first thing before we go, um, I think the foreign limit has to go up to 12 minimum. I, I don't think 10 will make enough of a difference. I think we'll still be having the same questions. At least with 12, then you could have backup foreign players on the bench in case there is a drastic shortage of, of talent where you know, you're know you buying in the local Russian market. So yeah, I, I think it, 10 is not enough. I think it has to go up to 12. If we're gonna rid ourselves of this, you know, question the foreign players with, with regards to you know how valuable they are, because because obviously when you're working under a strict limit, that kind of of thing. So thought I'd just bring that in, but yeah, I think Kyo definitely has to be up there. <laughs> Actually, I totally forgot. Um, it's not just the the this team don't have the single worst foreigner, 
but they've arguably got all three of the three worst legionnaires, and it's a team. Sorry, Andrew Flint, who played, who for haven't lost, haven't won in five games now. I don't think they've won at all this season. Dead bottom, absolutely dreadful, and it's their entire midfield from the loss against Dinamo at the weekend. Branko Jovicic, Daniela Miskic, and Eric Bikvalvi. Eric Bikvalvi <laughs> has done absolutely nothing for about two and a half years now. And I don't think I've ever seen Ural win with a midfield combination of Miskic and Jovicic. They're just one of those midfielders. Or both of yeah. them are exactly the same, where that, they try that's... to both be box-to-box and end up becoming passengers in the game. That's how you suggested. He said, I think his answer was one of those random Balkan Serbian midfielders from Ural. He didn't name an actual player, but they've got so many of them. <laughs> there, was that, there was that Swiss winger they had too, wasn't there? Was it Aratore? I think he was pretty pretty dying as yeah. well, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, they've had yeah. a few recently, Ural, I think. Ural just seemed to have bad luck when it comes to foreigners. They, this is probably why they're against the limit. They've yet to have one who's really done all that well for them. Like I think the last good foreigners they had were probably Fontanello. El Kabir. And Azevedo, Alcabir was okay, but he was like, you know, he never, yeah. he was so inconsistent. Like, he's one, like, he's a relative success for his story in terms of foreign players in the Ural. You know, we think back to maybe Chizambalungu as well, but uh, I remember Fontanella was very good, and so was Jerson Azevedo for, for a couple of years. But in recent years, they've just had a who's who of nobodies of foreign players uh, in Yukarenberg, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay, we'll give him Eric Falvey as well. Let's let's give it to him. You know, for a couple of years he was carrying that team. And yeah, he he was that yeah. team. Uh, but yeah, their foreign foreigner success stories are not a few and far between uh, over in Siberia. There, who was the Portuguese of a Brazilian winger at Dinamo? Not long ago, was uh, it? Miguel Cardozo. Cardozo. Cardozo, yeah, nothing special. No. Scored the first goal of the season, I remember. Maybe yeah. last season, was it? I think I Think it might have been, yeah. I remember, I remember yeah. it was away at Ufa. Oh, no. He's just, Ufa, Arsenal, Arsenal. He's just another yeah, one Arsenal. of those midfielders who are just complete and absolute trash and bring absolutely nothing to the game. You know, like... Only in Russia, purely. Like, the irony is, in a country with a foreigner limit, they're in Russia because they're, they're, they are foreign, because they are not particularly scouted effectively enough. And I think Dinamo have had absolutely loads of them over the years as well. That's oh, such a ridiculous... <laughs> like, I remember when I had William Van Quer and like Leandro Fernandez and Mathieu Valbuena all in the same team Kevin at the Karanyi. same time. Kevin Karanyi, brilliant player. Yeah, but... To be fair, Karani was act- actually brought something to it. He was he was a little bit yeah. late in the game, mm, but like the, the most too. the most Dinamo uh, is all right. The most Dinamo signing ever is Max Maximilian Philip. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was not good. Even even Sylvester Sylvester Boone is just a real panic buy. He doesn't, yeah, just he's doesn't not suit their system. Yeah, he uh, he was. He was one of those guys. It was a bit like when Zenit signed Johan Moller. It was like, well, he's done good for that team in Russia, yeah. so he must be good for our team too. <laughs> yeah, he was good at Ufa, but just doesn't doesn't didn't suit Dinamo. Oh, he at was all. incredible for Ufa. Yeah, he was mm. a perfect player for that Ufa style. Yeah, I think I got the wrong Fernandez. I think Leandro Fernandez is actually potentially a club legend. So Dinamo Ultras, please I thought, don't. I thought at me. Valbuena was really good for that year he was here too. I remember he scored a, a few belters. He, he was really good, but he was like one of the main reasons as to why they were relegated and kicked out of 
defeat and yeah, find some FIFA fair play. Would have been, yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> enormous. He was on yeah. like 140 grand a week at the time. <laughs> unreal in 2015. So, but yeah, t- in terms of ability, fair enough. He's 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 too good. But we were going to discuss Krillia's first win. Um, but that was a more interesting topic. So Krillia won everyone that finally didn't lose. Um, and that's the end of this week's episode. We'll may or may not be around for the international break due to some various vacations. I'll personally be spending some time north in the border north of the border in jolly old Scotland, but we will try and record potentially ahead of time with another mailbag if we can. Uh don't hold us on that yet, scheduling to be confirmed. But until then, this has been the RFN podcast. Goodbye for now. Идет в футбольный матч, летит над полем мяч. Веди его, беги, точнее его ударь. Но мяч берет ноги решительный вратарь. Не напрасно футбольное поле самых ловких и смелых плечок. Здесь нужны тренировка и воля, быстрота, увлечение, расчет.